0: When I was a kid, um, I grew up with uh, three siblings. I had an older sister, Marlena, younger brother, Brett, and a younger sister, Corinne. We were all, relatively speaking, in the same age range. I think the biggest gap was between my younger brother and younger sister maybe like two plus years. So we were all pretty close, which means we did a lot of things together. We hung out together. We played together. We, we just enjoyed spending time together as kids, more so now as adults, but as kids we enjoyed spending some time together. But inevitably, as kids do, we got in trouble. We we would mess up. We would do something. Sometimes it was together as a group, we would mess up. But most of the time, what would happen is, as individuals, we would do something stupid and we would make a mistake, we would commit a crime, and we would mess up. And as parents, you guys know, especially when kids are younger, most of the time, we find these things out. We typically will find out if something's broken. We'll find out if something is, is a, a mess or maybe there's, uh, you know, someone drew on the wall, as my young boy did after I redid his entire room two days later, drew all over it. And uh, we find these things out. My dad and my mom, what they would do, because they didn't necessarily know who did it, they would take all four of us and they would bring us into the living room. They'd sit us on a couch And my dad would inform us that we will be staying on that couch until someone fesses up to the mistake that was made, to the crime that was committed. We're all just going to sit there. And my dad was pretty smart. So what he would do then, he would leave us on our own. And he would walk away into the kitchen with my mom. I'm sure they were, you know, eavesdropping to see what was being said. And as you can imagine, when you have a room full of four kids, we just started to bicker and point fingers, and you would hear, "Come on, you know you did it. Own up to it." Or, "Come on, someone has to admit." I don't want to sit here all day. This is the conversation that would happen. Typically, it was usually pointed at my brother because he was usually the culprit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's here, so I could say that. But, uh, but typically, <laughs> we would point fingers at one person, or the other. I was very much to blame sometime as well. And, but we didn't want to own up to mistakes that we made. We didn't want to fess up because the consequences. Of fessing up was punishment. And we knew that. No one wanted to be punished. No one wanted to get in trouble. We didn't know what the punishment was going to be necessarily, but there were going to be consequences. David, in Psalms 32, had himself in a very similar situation. David had sin in his life. David was running from that sin. David was hiding from that sin, David was living his life as if that sin never existed. Eventually, David gets caught. Actually, David was caught from the very beginning, which we'll see. But David gets confronted, and David had the opportunity to confess that sin or to continue to run and hide. And Psalms 32 kind of gives us an indication of what he did. So let's open our Bible Psalms 32, 1 through 11. Let's jump into God's Word and, and take a look and see what happened with David. He says, how joyful, and if if you don't have your Bible, the words will be up here. How joyful is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Salah. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit or bridle, or else it will not come near. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for David, and David, his understanding of 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 sin in his life and in his confession and then his instruction to us. I pray that you would take this word and that you would use it this morning to to teach us, to grow us. I pray that you would just uh, let your spirit fill this room, let your spirit fill me, and let it be your words and not my words that are being spoken this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're gonna do through each one of us. We just give you the glory. In your name we pray, amen. So before we can jump into breaking down Psalms here, I think it's important that we take a step back and we, we look at to, uh, how David got to this point. We're going to look back a little bit in his life, the history of David a little bit, we'll say. Um, David, at this point in time, is now king, and he was appointed by God, he was chosen by God, and Nathan, um, prophet of, of God, was sent to bless David. He came to David and said, David, you are blessed by God. You are protected by God. God will be with you every step of the way. In fact, so much so that you can choose to do what you think is best because God will be with you always. That was back in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We see that part. David continues to, or 5, he became king. 7, Nathan came to him and blessed him. We then go into... um, other parts of David's life here, we see that he's doing pretty well. He was, uh, you know, leading and reigning um, his his kingdom, Israel, uh, for the most part, doing a pretty good job. He was kind; the people respected him. He was he was conquering his enemies. David was a a warring king, right? He he went out and he went to battle and he defeated his enemies with God's help, with God's guidance. God was pushing him. We go into then. Fast forward a little bit to 2 Samuel chapter 11. David is there in a war with the Ammonites, and David is actually chilling out and, and is at home on this one. He sent Joab, his general, out to fight this battle. And David, one morning, or one evening, I should say, um, was, was awake, went up to his rooftop. I'm sure you guys know the story. Went up to his rooftop, and from a distance, he notices a beautiful woman across the way, taking a bath. David was intrigued, and temptation then immediately came to David. David then sent his servants over to to inspect and and figure out who this lady was. They came back with some information and and informed David this is uh, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Uriah was serving in David's army, currently in the battlefield. Eventually, that led to Bathsheba coming over to David, And David and Bathsheba slept together. Bathsheba then became pregnant. David, instead of confronting his sin and understanding that he messed up big time here, David decides to compound that sin, to build up upon that sin. He says, you know what, I got to do something about this. So he tells Joab, sent a message to Joab, his general, said, I need you to bring Uriah back here. I need to talk to that dude. So he brings him back, and David on two occasions, first time he meets with them, says, hey, you know, good job. You're doing a great job out there in the battlefield. I want you to go home, get cleaned up. I'm gonna wash your feet. We're gonna take care of you. Then I want you to go home and be with your wife. Instead, Uriah, being the man that Uriah was, slept at the doorstep of David in his palace. The next morning, David wakes up like, dude, what's going on here? Why do you sleep there? That following evening, David says, okay, I got to keep trying here. So in this time, he feeds them, and he kind of wines and dines them, gives them some wine to drink, and gets them drunk, and then sends them on his way and says, go and be with your wife. Take advantage of this time that you have. But again, Uriah slept on the doorstep of David. David had to go to plan B. This wasn't working. Uriah said, I can't go and be with my wife and be in the comfort of my bed when, I'm, when the men that I'm fighting this battle with are sleeping in tents and on the ground. David says, okay, fine. Then here's what you're going to do. You're going to go ahead back and go be with your men. David then says, message to Joab. Job says, he says, I want you to put Uriah on the front line. And then when, when you guys are going to battle, I want you to pull all of your men back and let Uriah stand alone to be struck down. That somewhat goes to plan because we learned that a lot of people were struck down as the Ammonites archers killed quite a few men. But Uriah was one of those men. Job sends message to David. David gets the message after a period of mourning. David and Bathsheba are married. Compounding sin upon sin upon sin. Fast forward now to 2 Samuel chapter 12. God is angry with David. So God sends Nathan, his prophet, back. To confront David, Nathan tells David a story, a parable, a parable of two men, a rich man and a poor man. the rich man has an abundance of everything he is he is uh, has a, a herd of cattle, a herd of sheep he, he is wanting for nothing and then there's a poor man, a poor man who had nothing at all except for one lamb. this lamb was precious to this poor man. this lamb was everything to him. he raised this lamb along with his kids they played together. He loved this lamb just like his own daughter. He fed this lamb out of his meager portions that he had for himself. One day a traveler came. The traveler came through through town and was looking for something to eat. He stopped at the rich man's house and said, can you feed me? I'm hungry. The rich man could not take anything from his own abundance, could not share with this traveler out of his own goods, out of his own cattle, out of his own sheep, Instead, this this, this rich man went to the poor man and took the poor man's lone lamb, killed it, and fed it to the traveler. David, hearing this story, was furious, angry. How could this man do this? Nathan looked at David and said, you are that man. You're the rich man, and you stole from the poor man. David, hearing this, felt remorse, felt the guilt. And immediately confessed to God. I have sinned against God. And Nathan says, your sins are forgiven. We see that confession into Psalms 51. Psalms 51, if you guys have struggled at all with what a confession should look like, open up Psalms 51 and read through it. I encourage you to do that. It's incredible stuff. David feeling full of remorse. David going to God saying, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness. This is a a psalm or a prayer of penance. David asking God for forgiveness. David also through that psalm says that I promise that I will instruct the other sinners so that they do not sin either. This psalm then leads us directly to where we're at today, Psalms 32. Psalms 32 is a direct sequel of Psalms 51. While Psalms 51 was a psalm of penance, Psalms 32 is a prayer or a psalms of thankfulness. David is thankful for what God has done for him. David as he looks back, he's thankful that God forgave his sin and answered his prayer. He rejoices as he looks back as at the, the deliverance that God has provided for him. I have some good news for you guys. This is the title of my My uh, my message here is good news for the guilty. Good news for the guilty. Here it is. But first, I need to give you the bad news. The bad news is this. You can run, but you cannot hide from God. You can run, but you cannot hide. David tried to run, but he could not hide from God. The good news is this. You can run to God, and you can hide in God. The message in Psalms is simply this. It is the sovereign grace of God that tells us that sin can be forgiven. And not only that, but we do not have to sin. This is the message that we're going to see in Psalms. So let's take a look. Verse 1. Verse 1, he says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, we'll go right into that. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. David, now understanding the severity of his sin, now understanding the privity of the state that he was in when he was filled with sin, describes that sin in four terms that we see here in the first two verses. Let's take a look at those four terms. The first one is transgression. Transgression is to do what is forbidden to do. To do what we are forbidden to do. Imagine when you're a kid, you're walking down the road, you see a fence that's blocked off and maybe has that yellow you know, film on it that you can't see on the other side and the sign says no trespassing. As a kid, I can tell you, I guarantee I was going to jump over that fence. That's Transgression. The trespass sign says no trespassing, I go do it anyway. Or maybe it's an old house that's abandoned and you want to go check out what's in that old house and you, you see the yellow tape there and the no trespassing sign, we decide to go do it anyway. David, David was doing what he wasn't supposed to do. He knew what he wasn't supposed to do and he did it anyway. Right? He knew the law, he knew the Ten Commandments. The first Ten Commandments he broke was, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. David did that. Next one we see is David... Thou shalt not commit adultery. David did that. Those were his transgressions. The next word there, a term that we see is the word sin. Sin typically we use as an umbrella for all of the mistakes that we made or all the times that we are not pleasing to God. And that's correct. That's absolutely right in that term, in that context. But in here, in this scripture, what we're seeing here is sin being used as a, a Greek symbol. And the symbol is an archer. This word sin is is an archer, and it's to fail to do what we're required to do. It's missing the mark completely. An archer who is taking a shot at a target, right? he purposely draws the bow, he sees the target in front of him, and as he lets it go, the arrow misses the target. That's what sin is. We miss the mark. David knew that we should love the Lord with all of our heart. In In 2 Samuel 12, he says, why did you hate me so much? God tells David, Why did you hate me so much? He missed the mark. He also said that we knew we should love our neighbor as ourselves. But David had your eye killed. He missed the mark. The next word we see is iniquities. Iniquities is to pervert or to pollute what is good, taking something that is wholesome and turning it ugly. David was blessed as the new king. God chose him to be king. It was a beautiful thing. After years and years and years and years of kings that were were, were evil, were bad, were deceitful, were, were just not good kings, finally we had a king who was gonna be good and we blessed him. David took that and perverted it. David took what was good and made it ugly. And the last term that we see here is deceit. Deceit is to project that which is false. David spent year a full year, if not more than that, running from, hiding from his sin, living his life as if nothing was happening, ignoring the sin that was in his life. Now, sure, David takes ownership, as we see in verse 1 and 2, of this sin. He confesses his sin, and God forgives him of those transgressions and of those sins and of those iniquities and the deceit. But there are still consequences and punishment that occurs when we sin. We see this in 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 13. It's up on the screen here. It says this. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what is what I consider evil? This is Nathan talking to David. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and I will give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all of Israel in broad daylight. He also, in verse 14, which I don't have up there, says that that not only are all these things going to happen to you, but the son that was born to you in Bathsheba, he will die. I will take his life. The consequences of sin. David was dealing with these consequences. But we see in verse 13 there, says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. My first point, here's the good news. Forgiveness is Our greatest blessing, forgiveness is our greatest blessing. God can forgive all of your sin. Now, while David deserved the most harshest of judgments here, God instead showed David mercy and David grace that only God can provide. And we see in verse one and two, and those verses start, "I am joyful." And that word, joyful, we could be or I am full of joy, or I rejoice. That can be translated. Most Bibles will see translated as blessings. I am blessed. And David can be joyful because his transgressions are forgiven. David can be joyful because his sin is covered. David can be joyful because his iniquities are no longer counted against him. There's no receipts with God. David can be joyful because his deceit is wiped away and his spirit is made new. Now, if we can't get excited about that, if we can't be joyful because of what God has done for us, the sin in our lives, then maybe, just maybe, we don't understand what a blessing is. So here, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to explain to you a couple things. First, I'm going to tell you what a blessing is. A blessing is not determined by how much money you have or don't have. Right? A blessing is not determined by the type of car that you drive or the house that you live in or whether you live in a house or not, or if you live in an apartment. A blessing is not determined whether your life currently is good or whether your life is full of struggles. None of that really, really matters. We see so often the word blessing or blessed thrown around. Someone gets something called, oh, you're blessed. Oh, you got a new car, you're blessed. Or hashtag blessed, we see on social media all the time. Athletes who are spending you know, weeks and weeks in the tropical island, I'm blessed. Those aren't the blessing that God is talking about here. Right? Here's what the blessing is. When you guys woke up this morning and you were getting ready and you looked in the mirror. If you can look in that mirror this morning and you can announce that your sins have been forgiven, then guess what? You're already blessed. Because the greatest blessing is the forgiveness of God. David found joy because he understood the sinfulness of his sin. Horatio Spaffer wrote, it is well on a ship as they traveled past the, the place where his four daughters were killed in an accident. He had every reason to be upset. And no matter where we're at in life, whether we struggle or whether you have good things, we can still be blessed. He wrote this in, in verse 3 of that song. He said, and we have it up here, my sin, oh, the bliss Of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. My sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord that when my sins are forgiven, I am blessed no matter what is going on in my life. No matter what is going on in my life, I am blessed. David found joy. Because he finally understood this. And the sinfulness of his sin. right? Each one of us, when we we have sin in our lives, we're in a state of depravity. And we don't necessarily understand the severity of that sin. But when we do, we can then truly understand that forgiveness is our greatest blessing. Let's look at verse 3. David kind of switches gears a little bit and he says, okay, but... Yes, this is all good. This is all nice. But but there are some struggles that happen when you do have sin in your life. So I asked Garrett, if you don't mind coming up, he's going to be my uh, visual aid in this. Right? He is going to help me out. And we're going to kind of talk through this. Verse 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For the day and night your hand, this is verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Salah. You'll see that throughout this, Salah meaning pay attention, right? This is important information I have for you. This, this Psalm 32 as a whole is considered what's called a mass kill. A mass kill being a psalm of instruction or a psalm of precedence, or you can just put those together. Important information, right? This is what this psalm is. And when we see Salah, that's him saying, hey, listen up, maybe take some notes. Right? Grab your little paper and take some notes on this. Salah. All right, so sin. Garrett, I want you to put your arm out here. Put it on my shoulder. Keep it straight. When I was a kid, um, I went to Chesapeake Christian Academy. We used to have weekly chapels. And I remember there was a, uh, I forget who was teaching, but they were talking about the burden of sin. And I was asked to be the volunteer. Same as Garrett here. So I said, ah, let's do this. Garrett can be my guinea pig. He's a young, strong, strapping young kid. We can have him do this. Um, So right now, this is Garrett's life. It's being supported. Garrett is living his life with God. All things are going well. Garrett, though, one day decides he's going to do something stupid, and, and sin enters into his life. What happens with sin is that God has to be separated from sin. God can't be with sin. So God separates, keep your arm up there, from Garrett. Now, Garrett, here he is, on his own, supporting himself, with sin in his life. Not getting the help and the support that God gives him. And, and then on top of that, Garrett trying to hide the sin in his life, to conceal the sin in his life, compounds that sin. So, I want you to take this. Well, keep your arms straight. Don't put it down. Hold it. Don't let it go. This is what concealed sin looks like. Concealed sin will destroy us. When we have hidden sin in our lives... There is a heaviness of spirit, and the desire for newness fades away. You all right over there? You can drop it any time. This is sin, right? You can <laughs> so our guilt is relentless, right? He's feeling it right now, the guilt in his life. It's relentless. It's getting heavy. Not only does it affect us spiritually, it affects us emotionally, and it affects us physically. I can tell you what, if I was me holding that, i had have been down a long time ago. He's doing pretty good. <laughs> and if we don't deal with that guilt, here's what happens. The guilt is going to deal with us. And here's the reason why. Because God, heavy hand, is upon us. God begins to lean on us. God begins to push back until we can't take it any longer. You can bring that down with you if you don't mind. Thank you. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> Give it up. He did great. He held out pretty long. I was expecting him to drop a long time ago. But God says he's going to put his heavy hand on us. He's going to lean on us. And while we try to move forward with the sin in our lives, while we try to take the steps and ignore this sin and to, to push it back, God says, uh-uh, uh You're going to stay right where you're at. Because I will not let you go forward until you deal with the sin that is in your life. You can't go anywhere. And then if you think about this, if you ever have those times in your life where you feel stuck, maybe you feel like you're stuck in that muck and mire or you're in that pit and you just can't seem to get out of that pit. Well, maybe that's God telling you that you and him need to have a conversation. You and him need to have a talk to figure out what is keeping you in that pit. And maybe it's not something or someone else that's causing this. Maybe it's you and some undealt with sin in your life. God's heavy hand was upon him. God's telling him that he needs a conversation. So, what's the release from this bondage? David figured it out in verse 5. We see in verse 5, it's a pretty simple thing that he does here. It's really not rocket science to get out of bondage. David says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me. The guilt of my sin, Salah. David simply confessed. David acknowledged the sin in his life and asked God for forgiveness. What a thought that is. But here's the thing it says in verse John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Unlike people, God is always faithful. And when we confess our sins, to God, God will faithfully forgive those sins. God is also reliable, and more importantly, God is very, very predictable. Right when we confess our sin, there's no question what happens with that sin. God forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God will take away that sin from us. God will forgive us. God will tell us there is no waiting period. We don't have to wait to to have this forgiveness. There's no need for further discussion. Your sins are forgiven and you are given a fresh new start from that very moment. You are restored back to God. There's a short story written by Ernest, Ernest Hemingway. He did a series of short stories. This one is called The Capital of the World. This story is about Paco and his dad specifically. In this story, we see Paco, who wants to go be a matador, of all things. And, right They're in Madrid, and he wants to go be a matador. And he tells his father, I'm going to go do this. And through that interaction between his father and Paco, there are some disagreements that happen. And Paco, and this story probably sounds familiar if you know the Bible, Paco decides that he's going to do it anyway, despite what his father says. And he leaves, and he hurts his father pretty deeply, And he doesn't care. He wants to do his thing. His father left hurting, sad, upset that his son is gone. But he loved his son. Regardless of what happened, he loved his son. So he said, um, he went to the Madrid newspaper and he put out a full page ad. And on this ad, he says simply this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next day rolls around. Paco's father is at the Madrid newspaper. And it is said that some 800 Pacos showed up at the Madrid newspaper. Each one of them wanting to be restored. Each one of them wanting the love of their father. Each one of them wanting to be forgiven. But it was the father who reached out first. Here's my next point. God is more eager to forgive than we are to confess. God is sitting there waiting for us to come back to him. Luke 15, 20, this story that we talked about, that's very similar. It said, he said, we well, got up, the father got up, or the son got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran, he threw his arm around his neck and he kissed him. God wants to forgive you guys. And no matter what is going on in your life at this very moment, God can forgive your sins. And that forgiveness of sin is the greatest blessing that we could have. Now, David gives us some more information, right? That was just part of it. The next part of this, and this is my next point, sin can be avoided. Sin can be avoided. Now, we know we live in Pennsylvania and in Pittsburgh. One of the most beautiful parts, and some of you may not think this, is Is that we get to experience all four seasons. Right? I love all four seasons. I know some of you don't like the winter, some of you maybe it's too hot in the summertime, but but it's cool to trans, you know, that when we go from fall to spring and summer and so on and so forth, I love that transition. Especially going in the fall when the leaves start to turn and it falls like big man weather. I love it the most. It is perfect, right? I love the fall. Plus, we get football and everything else, right? But But people know in Pennsylvania, especially in Pittsburgh, there's a fifth season. There's a fifth season. Anyone know what that season is? Huh? Construction season, right? It usually starts from the end of winter to the beginning of winter. It encompasses every other season. And the reason that we have construction season is because in the wintertime, listen, our, our, our street crews do a great job, but boy, oh, boy, do they love to use salt. And they just dump it, right? And what happens is that salt starts to deteriorate the roads. The roads start to expand and contract because of the cold and heat changes. And we get potholes. We know there's potholes everywhere in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh. We see buses fall in them. (laughs) That's how bad potholes are here, right? (laughs) But now think about this. We're driving to work one day, right? We go down a road, and on that road, we hit a huge pothole. Boom! Right? And our car gets jacked up a little. Maybe we get a flat tire. Like, oh, man, I got to remember not to go down this road. The next day rolls around. We forget that there's a big pothole on that road. We drive anyway. Boom! We hit that pothole. Same thing. Ah, I forgot. Third day rolls around. We decide, all right, I'm going to go down this road because it is, you know, the easiest way to get to work. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the pothole and avoid it. But what happens is there's traffic coming the other way. And I can't get around it, so I'm going to go straight. And I'm going to hit that pothole once again. Fourth day comes around. We drive down the road. We wait for a little bit. We finally are able to go around the pothole. But now we're late from work because we have to wait for all the traffic to get through. Here we go. Let me give you a fifth day. Find a different direction. Avoid the road and find another road. Avoid the potholes. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28 says this. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? If you don't want to be burned any longer, if you want to avoid the potholes in your life, then maybe we need to make some changes. Maybe we need to, to do things a little different to avoid the burning and the potholes. Maybe for some of you, you need to stop going to a certain place that causes you to sin. Just stop going. I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who refuses to listen to classic rock music. Won't listen to it. In fact, if someone has it on, he'll leave and go away. Because classic rock music triggers him to a point when he was younger and was living his life in sin. And every time he hears it his thoughts go back to that time in sin. So he just doesn't listen to it. He avoids it so that he can avoid sin. Pretty novel. Maybe and this is a tough one. Maybe we need to cut some people out of our lives. Cuz maybe those people are causing us to sin. Maybe we need to avoid them. But the reality of this is this. Sin can be avoided. David also in verse Six gives us some advice. Helps us out with this. He says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. Church, we are going to still mess up. It happens. Godly people mess up. Godliness is not an absence of sin. Godliness is just our attitudes toward sin. What we should do, though, is is hate sin. Not only the sin in other people's lives, but the sin in our own lives. We shouldn't try to run from that sin. We shouldn't try to hide from that sin. In fact, what we should be doing is reaching out to God while God can still be found. Godly people, we should know when Christ is near and when Christ is in the distance a little bit. We need to acknowledge our sin in our lives and we need to rush to God to confess those sins, to to get it right with him. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he can be found. Call on him while he is near. We always want to be on speaking terms with God. I don't want to have a, a list of things that I need to get through, a list of a stack of sins that I need to confess whenever the floodwaters are coming. I need to be able to shout out to God, help. And I need to know that God immediately is going to come and help. But I have a stack of sins in my life. I can't do that because I have to get through each one of those sins. And I don't got time when the floodwaters are coming. We need to be ready. God says this in verse 7. And this is the results of us crying out. God says this in verse seven, Your David says this, I should say, you are my hiding place and you protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Salah. David, in verse three and four, we see needed a hiding place. David was trying to hide from God. David was ignoring God. David was running from God. But now that David is forgiven, David can now hide in God. Who do we turn to when we have sin in our lives? We turn to God. And God said to come, and I will be your hiding place. And in, in despite what people around us are saying, oh, man, Sean really messed up this time. There's no way back for him. God is saying, no, no, no. There is a way back. In fact, come to me, and I will be your hiding place. Come to me, and you can come in me, and I will protect you. God sent his son to die on the cross and shed Blood for our sins. That shed blood covers our sin. And in that shed, shed blood of Christ, we can find a hiding place in him. Because that shed blood of Jesus Christ will protect us. Jesus will be our hiding place. Jesus will be our safety. Jesus will be our refuge. We, my next point, have some work to do. We need to listen and we need to learn. David, fulfilling the promise that he made in Psalms 51, now turns to some instructions. We see this in verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eyes on you, I will give you counsel. This church is our call to godly leadership. God has brought us all here at Redemption Church, and, and in Redemption Church, God has appointed Pastor Fred, Pastor Marty, Pastor Greg as leaders in our church counsel. God has also made other leaders to to teach, to disciple. Our responsibility as believers, as godly people, is to to submit to that counsel and to listen and learn. David is saying, listen and learn to me. I got some instructions for you. I'm going to show you where to go. And he says in verse 9, he says, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near to you. So, what he's saying here, what David is saying here is don't be like me. Don't make the same mistakes that I made. Don't be like a horse. I was like a horse. And I when I saw Bathsheba off in the distance and I was tempted by her, I ran and galloped to that temptation. Don't be like me. Don't be like me. I was like the mule. And when I had sinned in my life, I was stubborn. And I decided, I'm not going to share this sin with anyone. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. I'm going I'm to do whatever I can to ignore this sin. I'm going to live my life like nothing's happened. Don't be like me. Don't be like me. Because here's what happens if we are. God will put a bit and a bridle in your mouth so that he can now control you and bring him closer to him. Our warning church is that God, God will always put us in our place. God will always put us in our place. It doesn't pay to run from God. It doesn't pay to hide from God. Back, back verse 10, we see here, "Many pains come to the wicked. but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Many pains come to the wicked. Verse three and four again, we, saw, we talked about all those different pains that he had. His bones were brittle. They hurt. The guilt was, 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 was making him weak daily. It was constant. He was struggling. When we have sin in our lives, the pain is there every single day. But the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Some translations of faithful love, we see his mercy. We see his steadfast love. We see his unfailing love. All these words come from the Hebrew word word of hesed. Hesed meaning loyal love. What David is saying is that love, that God's love, never changes, even though we do. God's love never changes. And David said, even though we might not always get it right, even though we might, might mess up, that God, regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we're at, God will surround us with his love and with his mercy. And I don't know if you guys realize it this morning, but that's really the only reason that any of us are here. Because God has surrounded us with his love and mercy. None of us are here because we've done good things. None of us are here because we're righteous. None of us are here because we are good people. We are here because when our sin should have knocked us out, She had taken us out. God said, no, no, no. I'm going to surround you with my love and with my mercy. That's why we're here this morning. That's what God has done for us. So how should we respond to God's love and mercy in our life? How should we respond to being surrounded by God? How should we respond to the incredible blessing that is forgiveness? Verse 10 says this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David, speaking the word of God, says this, that God has surrounded you with his love and mercy. And because of that, we are to be glad. If God's love has brought you here this morning, if God's love has forgiven you of your sins, then we are to be glad and not only that we go beyond that God said not only be glad but I need you to rejoice rejoice in the Lord because God has forgiven you how many of you in this room can say I can rejoice I can rejoice because God has forgiven me in my sins but he takes it a step further than that he said not only should we be glad not only should we rejoice but we should shout for joy shout for joy We should shout for joy and thank him because he died on the cross for our sins. We should thank him because he rose again for me. We should thank him and shout for joy because one day, church, he is coming back again. We can shout for joy and sing hallelujah because God is coming back again. So that's how we should be responding. We should be glad. We should rejoice. We should shout for joy.